Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. When writing about the Word of God, uh, David Platt, who's a pastor, he wrote this. He said, at all times, you and I have his message to us in all its power, authority, clarity, and might. We don't have to work to come up with a word from God. We simply have to trust the word he has already given to us. And when we do, the word of God will accomplish the work of God among his people. It forms and fulfills, motivates and mobilizes, equips and empowers, leads and directs the people of God in the church for the plan of God in the world. For the last several weeks, we have been going through one chapter of the Word of God. We've been allowing the Holy Spirit, trusting the authority of His Word, as we walk verse by verse this one chapter. Of course, this one chapter is Psalms 145. This psalm is by many theologians considered to be David's favorite psalm. It's the only psalm in scripture that is titled David's Psalm of Praise. They believe that, theologians believe that David, of course, he wrote this psalm, but he would run to this psalm when he was was struggling when he was kind of down or discouraged or facing a trial or when things were going well and he just wanted to rejoice, he would run to this psalm and sing this psalm and praise God. And this psalm is full of truth about the person and the character of God. David spends a lot of time just telling us who God is. Now, before we jump into what we've we're going to look at this morning, I want to kind of recap what we've been studying for the last five weeks. We've gone through the first nine verses. And I've encouraged you each week to memorize these verses as we go along. And so this morning, we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. Those are what you're going to memorize uh, this week. I asked you to memorize this week. But So we've looked at the first nine verses. And as we've looked at these verses, we've seen 15 characteristics of who God is. And I want to remind us of who David says God is in this summary statement. And that's not, I didn't put it up there, so I'm going to read it to you. All right, here's the summary statement. I meant to put it on the screen. I apologize, but here it is. God is God. It all begins with him, and it's all about him. He is creator and king of everything that exists. There is no one and no thing above or beyond him. Yet, as God, he is knowable, desiring a personal relationship with each of us. God is great and active from generation to generation. 
His word and creation reveal that he is awesome, good, and righteous. God is eternal in his existence and unchanging in his nature. He is both gracious to give us more than we deserve and merciful to withhold what we do deserve. Even when we are unfaithful, God remains slow to anger and in great loving kindness. Because God is in complete control of every moment of every day, humanity enjoys the divine gift of God being good to all. This is our God. Those are some incredible statements about the awesomeness and the incredible power of God. And it's, it shows us how wonderful the God that we have the privilege to serve and worship this morning is. And after giving these 15 statements about who God is in the first nine verses of this chapter, David shifts and he begins to praise God for who he is. After telling about the greatness of God, he acknowledges the great praise that our God deserves. So this morning, as we kind of look in what, how, about how David says we should respond to God, we're going to start reading verse number 10, and we're going to read down through verse number 13 of Psalms 145. <clears throat> the Bible says, there it is, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Now, during this, this series, we've been asking uh, two questions as we've studied through these verses. We've been asking, what do these verses tell me about God, and how am I supposed to respond to this truth about God? And for the last couple of weeks, we focused on the first question as we looked at verses 8 and 9. What do these verses tell us about God? Today, we're going to look at the second question. How should I respond to who he is. After David tells us these wonderful things about God, what should our response be to the character and person of God? And there, there are three, in these verses we read this morning, there are three biblical responses that David gives us as his children about how we should respond to who God is. And here's the first one. Number one, I should thank God. Look at verse number 10 again. It says, all thy works shall praise thee. The, the word praise there is the Hebrew word yada. And it means to give thanks to one who is worthy. To give thanks to one who is deserving. And notice what he says here. He says that all thy works, all of creation is designed to praise God. All of creation is meant to bring praise to God and thank Him because all of creation was designed to bring glory to God. And that includes us. We were designed to bring glory to God. And one way that we can bring glory to God is by thanking Him and praising Him for what He's done in our lives. You know, I was, I was raised 
uh, to have manners, to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and please, and thank you. And I, I still do it today. Uh, I, you know, anytime, no matter who that is, you know, I'll, I'll be at, at you know, Chick-fil-A, and the little 16-year-old person behind the counter will, you know, ask me a question, and I'll say, yes, sir, or no, yes, ma'am, or whatever. I'll answer them that way. And, you know, sometimes it gets me in trouble when they're a little bit, you know, older, younger than me, but they're still older, and I call them ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. It's just, it's not calling you old. It's respect. It's manners. It's polite. That's how I was raised. Anyone else raised that way to have manners and respect? Okay. Why aren't we teaching our kids that? We do it, but we tell our kids, go, yeah. Huh? What? I, we, me and Abram don't. We, we taught our kids like we were raised to have manners. To when an adult asks you something, and really it, it translates to anybody, but when an adult asks you something, you answer, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Someone gives you something, you say, thank you. You need something, you say, please. Now, Parker got it down pretty good. Uh, because when he was younger, if he wouldn't do it, we would waterboard him. Uh, but then they made that illegal. Uh, but the part got it down pretty good. We're, we still struggle with, with Connor and especially Lexus. You know, I, I'll ask them something and they, they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, what? And I'll say, yes, sir. Or no. What? No, sir. I still have to kind of remind them that if they want something, they don't just blurt it out. They don't say, give me it. It's please. If they need someone to do something, please would you do that? And if someone gives them something or is nice to them or does something kind for them, they should say, thank you. Even if it's not something that they really wanted or needed or asked for. If someone does something for you or gives you something, your response should always be, thank you. But teaching them this, I learned that you can fake being polite. You can fake being thankful when you're not thankful for something. You know, someone gives you a present and it's not something you really needed or wanted or asked for. You can still say, thank you so much. That was so kind. And then when they leave, you put it away in a closet or give it to someone else the next time, you know, next Christmas. You re-gift it. But you can act thankful. You can act polite. Now, the Bible isn't talking about having good manners towards God. It's, it goes deeper than that. The response he is talking about is a response of thanksgiving and praise from the heart of a believer whose life has been affected by God. How many of y'all, by a show of hands, your life has been affected by God today? Every one of you should have your hands up because you're alive. You, I know we lost an hour of sleep, but we can't blame God for that. That's daylight savings time, which is the dumbest thing ever. But we, we, we've all been affected by God. We've all, we've all breathed in oxygen. We've all got our, our hearts pumping blood through our systems. Maybe not as caffeinated as it needs to be, but it's still there. We're still, we still have the freedom to meet here. So even if your life has fallen apart, everyone else can say, God, you've affected my life in an incredible way even today. But all of creation can say that. The people who sat home this morning because they're lost and don't care about God, they can still, they should still thank God because you know what? They're still alive. 
God's still giving them the ability to stay home on a Sunday morning and sleep late and maybe go to brunch later. And I'm telling y'all something, y'all, want it, y'all like, hey, I should have done that. God's giving them that ability. God still blessed them with life and health and strength and protection and food. And so as his creation, all of us should thank God. We should thank God for who he is. But it is a depth of gratitude that is expressed when you consider who God is and what he has done for you. It's not just lip service. See, here's the thing. All of creation will praise God. You know, you go outside in the mornings and it's, you know, the birds are chirping. Now they're, when you go out to, on mornings like this and it's real cold and they're chirping, you know, they're saying, I thought it was spring. But you know what they're doing? They're praising God. They're thanking God for another day. They're fussing at you for not putting out bird seeds so early. But they're praising God. All of creation, all of his works, praise God. You know, we got, it's beginning to be spring and now the trees are blooming and the flowers are blooming. You know what they're doing? They're praising God. All of creation will praise God. But for those of us who have been saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how much more should we be thankful? How much more should we praise God? Because even if we're having a difficult time financially, physically, relationally, we still have an eternity in heaven. We still have a Savior who loved us so much. He sent His Son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in our place and shed His blood for our sins, to be buried and rise three days later, to redeem us to God the Father. So how much more should we thank God and praise God? It is a response of the heart, thanking God for who He is and what He's done. And this philosophy is not contained just in the Old Testament. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, in what? Everything. In everything. In ev- you know what that word means in the Greek? It means everything. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What Paul's saying here is God's desire for his children is in every situation in life where to thank God and praise God. Why? Because God does everything in our lives for our good and His glory. Even the hard times. Even the sicknesses. You know, we got a lot of, a lot of sickness going around. Those are, you know, it's hard to thank God. Like Kathy, she just got back from... North Carolina because her mom was in the hospital again. It's hard to thank God because your mom's in the hospital. But we're supposed to. Thank him for what? Well, number one, thank him that she's out now. Thank him that she that found it early and they, they were able to treat her early. Thank him that it, it just, whatever situation we're in, we are to thank God for everything. Look at what Major Ian Thomas says. He says, if in any situation you are not prepared to give thanks... You are out of the will of God. Man, that's a convicting statement. In any situation, if you're not ready to thank God, you're out of the will of God. As we consider the the work and the character of God, one way that we are to respond to Him is by giving thanks. For what? For who He is. 
Even if your life's falling apart, thank God that he's God. That he doesn't change. That he's merciful. That he's gracious. That he's everlasting. No matter what we're facing, we can thank God. So is your response to who God is a life of thanksgiving and praise? Because that should be the first response to who God is. But there's a second response. Not only should we thank God, I should submit to God. Look at verse 6 again. It ends and says, And thy saints shall bless thee. Now that first response deals with all of creation. All his works will give thanks to him. But this is a response that only applies to his children. The saints are those who have been redeemed by God. We are to bless him. Now this, this word bless here occurs four times in this psalm. And the bless is the Hebrew word barak. It means to kneel, to submit to. It suggests the bending of the knee and submitting to someone else, submitting oneself to another. So we are not only to thank God for his general work in creation, we are to submit to his will and his word as his children. See, it doesn't just stop with thanksgiving, it progresses to submission. Here's what C.H. Spurgeon said about this. He goes, if we praise Jehovah because of his works around us, we must go on to bless him for his works within us. So we bless God by submitting to God, by putting our will under his will, by putting our desires below his desires, by obeying what his will and his word says. So is your, is your response to God of who God is, a life submitted to his will and his word. Here's what that means. Is your life completely surrendered to God? And there's a lot of areas in our life that we need to look at individually to see, am I submitted in that area? Am I submitted in this area? Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's, that's broken. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained or it's, it's not as what it should be and it's, it's a problem between you and a relative or you or another family member or you or another believer and that relationship is strained and God's will is for you to make that relationship right but your will is to be stubborn and keep it the way it is because you didn't do wrong, they hurt you. And we have that opinion. They hurt me, they're in the wrong. Why should I make a move to make it right when they're in the wrong? Because the Word of God says to. The Word of God says, as much as is possible, live peaceably among all men. And I know we like to take that caveat, well, as much as is possible, it's not possible. A lot's more possible than we think because all things are possible through Christ. So it's not possible for me to live with them or to handle them or to, to be nice to them. Yes, it is. It's not that it's not possible. It's that you don't want to do it. We want to do our will, our way. And so maybe there's this relationship that you need to be made right that you've been resisting. Your response needs to be to go to whatever relationship it is and make it right. Stop resisting God and start submitting. Maybe if there's a sinful habit, a sinful action or a sinful, sinful attitude 
in your life. Maybe you're, you're angry towards something or you're, you're resentful towards something or you've, you've got this, we call it besetting sin or bad habits. You've got this thing in your life that you know God's not for. You're convicted over it. Every time you do it, the Holy Spirit convicts you, but you just, you don't see the harm if you do it yourself. What's the big deal, God? It's no big deal. You know, everybody's doing it. Maybe it's, oh, you know, my wife's not treating me right, so I have the right to do this. It's these sinful actions and attitudes. Your response needs to be to confess that sin, forsake that sin, walk away from it, and pursue the will of God. Maybe God's been leading you to serve in the church. Every time I mention we need help because we need help, we need Sunday school teachers. We need nursery workers. We need this. We need, and every time I say something, the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. And you know you should, but you just you don't want to because it takes time. And time's precious. And so you don't want to serve in that area. Your response should be to confess that and submit to God's will and not your desire. God brought you here so you could come to a place where you could stop resisting and submit to God's will and obey his call. We are to thank God for who he is and obey God because of who he is. But there's a third response that we should have. Here's a third response. I should declare the truth of God. We should thank him. We should submit to him. And we should share about it. Look at verses 11 through 13 again. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. In verse 11, David uses a couple words to talk about how we should declare or share God. He goes, we should speak and we should talk. Now, what are the things we should speak and talk about? Well, first of all, we should speak about the mission of God. The kingdom of God is mentioned four different times in these verses. As God's children, we are invited to join in the mission of God. We are to use our skills, our talents, our time, our treasure, everything God has given us, all the resources God has blessed us with, we are to use them to build his kingdom, to help reach the lost with the truth of the gospel. Here's the thing, the activity of God in the world is bigger than our church, but he has invited us and to join him into reaching the world with the gospel. And if God is working throughout the world to work on his kingdom, where do we fit in as a church? What's our role as a local church to build the worldwide kingdom of God? Well, first of all, the local church exists to teach people about God. We as a church exist to go to those who have never heard about God and share the gospel with them. But it's not just a church activity because you're part of the, the church. So what are you saying, preacher? You exist to share the truth of the gospel 
with the lost world. That's your job as a believer. That's what God expects of us, to share. The, here's the thing. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have received the greatest gift of all time. And God wants us to share it with your friends, with your relatives, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with strangers. Well, how do we do that, preacher? Share your story. Share your testimony. We've got tracts all throughout the church. Take them and hand them out to people. Put door hangers, invite people to church. It is your duty as a child of God to share the message of God. That's why we are here. We are here to connect people to God. But we're also here to disciple them in his word and send them out to join his mission. So we're here to introduce them to God. And then once they introduce to God, to disciple them, to teach them how to obey his word and listen to him and send them out on his mission. So if the mission of God is a, is a priority, it should be, we are going to tell other people about that mission. If the mission of God is as important to us as it's supposed to be, we're going to share the gospel with the lost and we're going to help teach and train believers to go out and do the exact same thing. Look at what our love for the king and his kingdom will cause us to share the truth of the king and his kingdom with everyone we can. Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 20. He says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish the course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is saying that what brought him joy was telling people about the gospel was telling people about how Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for them. And Paul, he, what he's talking about here, he left a good life. He was a Pharisee, he was a wealthy man, he was a Roman citizen. He had power, he had prestige, he had authority, but he left it all to be a life of, of going from town to town, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being, being oh, just in prison. And he says, that is what brings me joy. Not the life before, but sharing the gospel with the lost world. We're to join in the... Tell people we're supposed to join in the mission of God, the might of God. And then thirdly, the majesty of God. I haven't gone to the might of God yet, so let's go to the might of God. We're to share the, the truth of the might, uh, mission of God, then the might of God. Look at verse number 11 again. They shall speak of thy glory, of thy power, of thy kingdom, and talk of thy power. So David says that we should tell people about his power. Now this word power here in the Hebrew literally means strength and might. It focuses on the awe-inspiring character of the one who possesses all power. So what does this look like in our life? What this looks like is we're not just supposed to share the truth about the gospel with the lost world, but we, we help share the glory of God with believers when we talk about how good God has been to us. How many of y'all, any time in your life, have seen God do a miracle? You know for sure it's, it's, it's going to happen. It, it had to happen. It had to be God. And you can say that is of God. We've all experienced that. What David's saying here is we're to share that with people because that encourages people. I remember me and April were in, in college. We, she got pregnant with Connor. And we went to the doctor 
And, you know, it took us five years for Parker, and it was six years between them. And so she gets pregnant. We go to the doctor for the first checkup, and we get home, and the doctor calls her. And basically the doctor says, uh, if you haven't started miscarrying, you're going to pretty much tonight. Your, your levels are too low, and there's nothing we can do. We'll give you a, a prescription for progesterone, and you can take that, and we'll see what happens. But I expect you fully to be in here tomorrow having a miscarriage. And so she went to the doctor, she got the progesterone, and... Obviously, it worked because Connor's here somewhere. There he is. Now, progesterone is a, a hormone that helps uh, stabilize the connection between the mother and the child. Basically, it strengthens the umbilical cord. So we take this. We pray for God to work a miracle, and God does. Connor goes through term. He gets hit, you know, He's healthy. He's born. He's born long and skinny with a nose that's like four sizes too big for his head. But I remember after he was born, you know, they, they, he had all that other stuff, like the umbilical cord. His umbilical cord was so long, the nurses were doing a uh, jump rope with it. It was like eight feet long. They were like, this is the longest umbilical cord we've ever seen in our life. I don't know how that happened. I said, I know how that happened. God, we prayed for God to strengthen that link, and man, he did. God worked a miracle. We've seen it with Alexis. We've seen it with all of our kids where God has worked miracles. What David's saying here is, don't keep that to yourself. Because there are other believers who are struggling, who hear the power of God from your life, can help them, can encourage them, can bless them. Verse 12, David says that we should make known his mighty acts. Not only does God possess all power, but God does powerful things. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone just talking about what God's done in your life? Just talking about the power of God. Are we a people that talk about the might of God? Are we a people that can tell people that our God can do anything, that our God is, un, is, un, is all-powerful? If Look, here's, here's a question. I read this question early in a book this week I was reading, and it was very convicting. Uh, we can not only talk about His power, we can experience it. So here's the question. If God answered every prayer you are praying today, how would the world be different? We know about the power of God. Are we really praying for God's power? We have access to his power. Are we really, are we really praying powerful prayers? Are we just praying for good weather, traveling mercies, and God to bless our food? How would the world be different if God answered our prayers? I don't want to go through life just asking for the little stuff. If, God, if that is what we are doing, do we really believe that God has power to change the world? So our response to who God is should be to share about him, share about his mission by sharing the gospel and sharing about his power and the fact that he can do everything. And then thirdly, sharing about the majesty of God. Majesty here, look at verse 12. To make known the sons of men, his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Majesty is a word that's used to describe something that is so beautiful it causes people to be awestruck. I remember me and April got married in uh, 1997? Eight? Eight. Yeah, eight. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime. We got married. That's all I know. I was there. I don't know the date or the time. I remember we got, we got married in August 1998, uh, 29th, 1998, 
and uh, of course, you know, we, we had the date set, and we were doing everything, you know, like we were supposed to do, and she goes to the, to the uh, church that day to get ready, and I go to the church later, but I couldn't see her the whole time. You know, it's one of those things where I couldn't see her all day long, to me, which I thought was stupid. Uh, but she's like, it's bad luck to see the bride on the day of the wedding. So I couldn't see her all day long. And so I, the first time I got to see her that day was when the doors of the church, the back of the church opened and she came through in her, in her wedding gown and she had her hair done and all her makeup done and just, just everything perfect. And it was like 7 o'clock at night. We had a late wedding. I'm like, if we're going to do this all day thing, should we get married like at 9 in the morning? But, you know, apparently not. And so she came to the door, and I remember when those doors opened. And look, I'd, I'd seen her a million times. I loved her. I knew she was beautiful. But when those doors opened, and I saw her in that wedding dress, I was just awestruck. I, just, I looked at her majesty. I thought, I can't believe that's going to be my wife. Please, God, keep her blind so she doesn't see what she's getting. But just her beauty, I, just, I couldn't take my eyes off of her the whole time she came up. And that is nothing compared to the majesty of God, the beauty of God. I want us to, as a church to be a place where we have our eyes fixed on the beauty and the majesty of God's glory and the majesty of God's work that we are awestruck with God. When was the last when when you are awestruck by something majestic, you can't help but share it with others. So we should be speaking of the mission, the might, and the majesty of God to those around us. So is your response to who God is speaking about God to others? David says, because of who God is. We should thank him, we should submit to him, and we should talk about him. Is that what our life looks like this morning?